I'm Sophia. And I'm Casey. And welcome to this episode of Redefining Pink, a podcast where we work to combat gender rep- underrepresentation in STEM. This episode is about Dr. Reynolds, a chemistry and food science teacher here at Bishops. Hi. Dr. Reynolds earned her PhD in chemistry in 1991 at the University of California, San Diego, and the Salk Institute. Her thesis was a functional analysis of, I'm going to try my best, P56 LCK. You nailed it. By site directed mutagenesis. She was a Howard Hughes postdoctoral fellow at the University of Michigan working on cell signaling and adhesion and integrin substructure function studies. She worked for a short time in industry at Neurocrine Biosciences San Diego in the early 1990s before turning to education. Okay, we're going to get started with some fast facts. So Dr. Reynolds, what's your favorite color? Oh, that's a tough one. I think I'm a very primary person, so I like yellow and I like blue. I like blue. Very cheerful. All right, so do you have a favorite woman leader in STEM? Mm, Favorite woman leader in STEM. Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, Actually, there's so many to choose from. I, I, you know, I think that um, Dodna is just like, like she's a rock star as far as I'm concerned. Do you want to tell the audience a little bit more about her? Well, I mean, her work with CRISPR has been just something mm-hmm. ph- phenomenal and really has changed how we approach molecular biology and biological sciences, particularly um, in studying um, you know, structure function and other things. Um, what's a subject in STEM you want to learn more about? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I, I've always been partial to botany, and I would, if I were to go back again and do it, I might do more in botany. I think there's a lot that we could be doing that would be probably important for this planet and maybe our ability to um, sustain ourselves if, I, if we had more information. And lastly, what's your favorite subject in STEM? Ooh, my favorite subject. Right now, currently, I am loving um, sort of I guess I'm enjoying biochemistry and organic chemistry and drug design, but I have to say I've been really also enjoying my food science. Food science. Yeah. Food. (laughs) Food. Yeah, anything around food is a big deal in my household. So, Dr. Reynolds, we know that you're really into biochemistry and organic chemistry, but how did you know you wanted to study chemistry? And what exactly motivated you to get that PhD? Oh, now that's a really interesting question. So, a couple things. One, when I was a young, young thing, probably um, in grade school, I desperately wanted to be an astronaut. <laughs> um, and um, but then somebody burst my bubble and told me I would have Aww. to go through a lot of pre, you know, postdoctoral training and lots of physics and math and I was just overwhelmed at the whole concept of a PhD so I kind of like tabled that Mm. Um, but I have to say I always gravitated towards nature and um, science and when I was a kid probably around the same age that my burst bubble for being an astronaut happened um, uh, a relative gave me an old and I do mean ancient probably probably should be a museum piece, um, <laughs> microscope. And I would lived in, out in the sticks, in, in the Sierras, and I used to go out with my microscope and I looked for um, 
protozoa and other things in the in the in in the uh, cow troughs. Wow. And it was oh awesome. Gosh. You would not believe what grows in a cow trough. But yeah. anyway, um, so um, I really got into biology um, from a very young age, just exploring. Mm -hmm. um, so how did that get me to chemistry? Well, chemistry kind of came along the way. I would say there are two types of scientists, those who really know what they want to do and those who just sort of happen. And I'm kind of a, the latter. Mm -hmm. um, I loved science. Um, I was, I was solid in high school, but I wouldn't say I was stellar. Um, but when I got to college, um, I had incredible teachers, and those incredible teachers um, made me re really into a, a strong um, experimentalist mm -hmm. and someone who really um, enjoyed the process of science, um, and um, and so. By virtue of that, um, I started teaching a lot as an undergraduate, mm -hmm. and that uh, led to um, summer internships, and eventually I found myself um, thinking about going to graduate school but not committed to it after I finished my undergraduate. So I decided to work um, in, um, at the Salk Institute mm -hmm. um, and got a position as a research assistant there um, for a year. And my time there was just fabulous. And so I um, uh, entered the uh, graduate program in chemistry at, um, at UCSD because of the fact that I always figured you can always um, do biology mm -hmm. and biological sciences from chemistry perspective, but mm -hmm. it's very difficult to go the opposite direction, yeah. right? So I, so I ended up going and joining the chemistry department loved every moment of it so sometimes you sort of find that you you know you don't have a direct pathway but you find yourself going somewhere because of a passion and that's it's where like it was fate. yeah it was in a lot of ways so all right so um about your time at Salk and mm -hmm. at UCSD mm -hmm. so the research that you did for your thesis as a postdoctoral fellow sounds really complicated can you tell us a little bit about what you were studying and why it interested you so as a Postdoctoral fellow, I um, I uh, followed. Um, I went to I went to Michigan in part because my husband was going to Michigan um, as a graduate. Uh, as a well, he was doing an MBA. He'd already done his graduate degree in chemistry as well. Um, and so I um, I ended up applying to um, a postdoctoral fellowship at University of Michigan. Loved the place. It was a great place. Um, I landed in a lab that was really difficult, um, and I struggled um, in there because the dynamic wasn't positive. Um, mm -hmm. But in the end, I, um, <laughs> I joined a second lab um, where, um, where um, I was studying endocrine function and did um, uh, work with cell signaling, which I was very comfortable with. Um, and so I finished out a short probably shorter than it should have been, postdoc um, at Michigan, and then ended up at Neurocrine Biosciences um, for um, an industrial position. That was a questionable choice on my part. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I would say the reason for that was is that I was one, I was the only woman um, a PhD in my, in my group. It was a smaller company at the time. It was before they had had any big successes. And um, 
I probably would say if I were hiring me, that was probably not the right fit because um, it was a neuro, it was a neuroimmune company. My background was in immunology, but they were very strongly in the on the neuro side of things, and that was not my background. Mm -hmm. um, so, on that note, like at Neurocrine, like. What was a typical day like if someone was like, oh, I'm interested in that kind of like industry position? Well, it was actually fascinating in terms of um, from the standpoint of drug design. I didn't um, I had not had that exposure because I had been primarily in academic positions. Um, but this was a company that was focused on drugs. And mm -hmm. so they were pretty um, on the cutting edge of looking at or using robotic sort of li um, libraries that and searching for um, for uh, for chemicals that affected function that they were looking for and it, and it was quite interesting in terms of that and probably um, something I you know if if I had stayed there I would have been quite interested in from the standpoint of where I am today and what I do but at the time I didn't I didn't have the exposure mm -hmm. for that. Um, I was doing work for them and um, trying to support some of their side projects. Um, but in all honesty, um, it was a difficult um, uh, sort of group to work with because um, once again, I don't think it was a great fit for me. And mm -hmm. secondly, I think that it was um, my, 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 uh, direct report was not an easy person to work yeah. for. <laughs> There's a lot of those in the Yeah, <laughs> and so, um, and so um, you know, I have t a couple of things that I can bring up if you are interested in. One was I had a distinctly bad situation in a meeting where I was, again, the only woman PhD in the room. There was a lot of other guys in the room. And the person who came in to um, to do to give a talk actually um, uh, at one point in the middle of his talk looked at me and he said, um, "Honey, could you go get me a cup of coffee?" <gasps> no way. And I was like flabbergasted because first of all, I was not the closest to the coffee, and second of <laughs> all, I didn't know what I, I mean. I sort of expected all my my fellows around me would say something and instead they just looked at me and smiled and I like and I, I, I don't know if they were expecting me to like stand up or take it and um, and uh, in the end I got the coffee and then sat back down and I, what really irritated me most was not just the the um, the fact that I was taken to be the the secretarial staff that was that was there to take notes or something was um, the fact that my I was more disappointed in my in my team mm -hmm. in that when we went to lunch they all like yucked it up at lunch and then said we were sort of sort of taking bets whether or not you were going to take them down and I, I was like you know that was actually your position really mm -hmm. you should have been you know smart enough to figure out that this was you know not comfortable and yeah. you know stepped up to the plate and, and said why you know excuse me dr. so-and-so this is dr. so-and-so I'll get you a cup of coffee right but not one of them thought about doing that so it was not a great environment I didn't 
it was it was a tough place to work. Um, the topping of the cake was when when um, when I actually um, knew that it was time for me to move on was when <laughs> I started a family and I um, had announced it to my team that I was working with and hit, and my my direct chair. Um, uh, wife came to the Christmas party and pulled me aside and said, I hope you realize that you've really made it really difficult on my husband because <laughs> because you're pregnant. What? And so, yeah. Well, that's awful. Yeah. So I will say right away that there have been times in my life where it hasn't been very positive. <laughs> so, um, but I don't think that that's everybody's experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I will say that my um, impression is that you have to be pretty dang tough yeah. in, in, um, in, as a woman in science. And the reason why is, is that um, biology gets in the way. You know, you have families at the time when you're about your most productive. Mm -hmm. And so that can be, unless you have exceptional support, either from a spouse or from family, or you have the financial ability to, um, you know, have a, a nanny or something like that, um, there is a disadvantage. <laughs> yeah, because I think a lot of times I've noticed that, like, it, it's it's obviously a lot, a lot more difficult for women to both pursue a career to such a like advanced level oh absolutely and at the same time support a family and i don't know if there's like a clear-cut solution for that either it's just kind of the way that it is it's true and and i think i was sort of naive going into it didn't recognize it nor realize it mm -hmm. and um many of my close friends who who had maybe made other choices like going into medicine or something like that it was much more doable mm -hmm. um in terms of you know they're maybe working having like a working balance where they worked with a, a group of women in a practice that all covered for each other right and mm -hmm. so yeah no i think that there there is there's some fundamental issues in and stem that that are challenging and you know i don't I would say I, I, I probably went into it thinking, you know, um, some, was naively that it was going to be an even playing field, and it's not always an even mm -hmm. playing field. But that aside, if you go into it with, with open eyes, you're, you won't be surprised, nor, and you can probably plan for it better than I did. Mm -hmm. One thing that also surprised me about the coffee story is that, like, the, the men that you were working with, mm -hmm were not dumb. Obviously. Oh no, in they fact they very smart they people. totally knew what the, what this the whole situation was and sort of were kind of amused by it, which to me is what annoyed the crud yeah. out of me. So, along those lines, do you have any, you know, advice for men looking to be allies to women in STEM? Oh boy. <laughs> There's a ton. I've actually I can't say that I haven't I mean, I've had a ton of incredibly great male allies in my time as well. Um and without them, you know, it, it, you know, it could have been even harder. Um, my husband is a huge ally of, of women in STEM, um, and as is, you know, um, my my PI as my um, as my uh, advisor in graduate school. He was great, and um, and the second person I worked with at Michigan was really supportive and awesome. He kind of he was kind of like 
the guy who collected all the boat people, women who had troubles <laughs> in other people's labs. But, um, but anyway, um, so what would I say? Um, yeah, uh, if, if something doesn't seem like uh, it's right, then you should step up to the plate and be an ally. Um, uh, there are a lot of, I think, ways to be supportive in, um, in, in mentoring um, young women. I think you can leave, give them lots of opportunity to, um, to talk um, frankly, to um, to be um, to be encouraging, to uh, take leads on things. Um, there's all sorts of things, yeah. And we know that, like after you um, kind of had a little bit of this experience in industry, mm -hmm. you moved. That's when you moved to education, yeah, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, I would say that's about right. Um, well, you know, the other thing that we don't take into account is is that relationships are complex, and sometimes yeah. you um, you make choices as to um, career paths. If if you're both going strong, it's harder to raise a family a certain way. So I would say you could probably talk to men who've had these same conversations with their spouses and wives about how they want you know maybe to raise a family if you do not want to have someone else raising your kids then somebody has got to have more time at with raising kids than the other in general it's not not generally 50 50. um and so by virtue of that um uh those there's there's again some more decisions to be made and when we got to that point where we started having kids um my career had not accelerated as fast as his had mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. to us logically he was he was he was on the side that was going to you know um uh, get a get us further along financially so i stepped back from that um and chose not to go back into the lab after i had my first child and then decided that, well, what's my other, my other option? Well, I love teaching. And I always have loved teaching. And every time I was, whether whether I was a graduate student, well, even an undergraduate, in undergraduate, graduate, or postdoctorate, I was always the one who was teaching whomever was coming in new. So it's always been a love of mine. So, so that's how I, that happened. And it's, all, it's not always the women, woman who has to like No, absolutely take, not. Um, the other chemistry teacher here, he always talks about how he like became a teacher because he needed more time for his kids and his Absolutely. wife. Absolutely. <laughs> well, that's, that was actually who I was thinking about when I was having that conversation because that was an active decision that they made that I totally, um, you know, he supported totally his, his, yeah. his spouse's um, uh, lab work and decided that for them, their family needed, again, someone at home and therefore he chose to stay and mm -hmm. teach and, and, and do that. And that's, you know, I mean, there's lots of, of couples that figure that pathway yeah. out. Okay, so we've already touched a little bit on this topic, but we're gonna talk a little bit more about being a woman in STEM. And along those lines, Dr. Reynolds, we're gonna ask you, did you have a special woman in STEM role model? And if so, how did they influence your life or change your perspective? Yeah, that's actually, there's lots of wonderful women I've worked with um, and, and women I've admired in my time um, uh, and career. 
Um, one person in particular comes to mind, um, which was uh, Marguerite Vogt um, at the um, Salk Institute. She was delightful. Um, she uh, was very interesting. Um, she, she came from a scientific family um, in uh, strong Bavarian accent. She came <laughs> from Germany. Hilarious, very, very smart woman. Um, and worked for um, Rinaldo De Del Becco um, at, De in, at the Salk Institute and, and was really the, one of the first um, definers of, um, of cell culture media. Mm -hmm. And um, she sort of figured out, you know, that you needed certain trend, uh, growth factors that came from, for the most part, from um, animal products mm -hmm. like um, fetal calf serum and stuff like that. And then she figured out how to get the right concentrations to get cellular cells to grow in culture properly and still maintain mm -hmm. sort of their uh, their their normal phenotype. Mm -hmm. um, and so she was really a smart, smart woman. She did a lot of different science um, in her time at the Salk, but she worked there um, while I was a graduate student. And so I tended to work early in the mornings because I would get on my bike and ride up the coast and you know have a coffee mm -hmm. or up at Del Mar Danish or whatever, which is long gone, but one of the best places in San Diego at the time. And then um, I would, you know, we. I, and uh, another graduate student and I, who's also another a woman in STEM, would ride all the way up to Encinitas and then, or no, Carlsbad, South Carlsbad, and then come back. And then Marguerite would always be in the lab, and I would be in the lab by you know 7:30 a.m. or whatever. Wow. And Marguerite was like, uh, she was crazy because she, I mean, she first of all she was in her 80s at this point. I mean, she was really uh -huh. quite, hey. quite, <sighs> quite an amazing woman. She was there s six days a week, seven her oh seventh my. day. Was, she lived here in La Jolla. Was um, she always had people over to her house? She had a big grand piano. She lived in the canyon over here near the school, and um, and she would invite all these people over, and they would just play classical music at her Aww. house, and, and it was just amazing. And and then they would talk science. They were you know it was just awesome. But the thing that was so nice about Marguerite was is that she was super. Um, humble and unassuming, but driven. Um, she was meticulous in the lab. Um, and, and um, but she, her life was dedicated to science. Um, she never married and she, um, she uh, had a, uh, sister who was also um, a PhD who was at I think it was I think it was Oxford she may have been Cambridge but she was a neuro, neuro um, scientist an early neuroscientist and her father ran a uh, scientific institute in Germany and so during the war the family actually um, was uh, was instrumental in getting out quite a few Jewish mm -hmm. um, people mm -hmm. wow. um, out of the country um, to, um, you know, uh, uh, to safety during um, World War II and out of, uh, in, into England and other places. And then Marguerite then after the war um, uh, came to the United States uh, and settled working with um, Jonas Salk and, and the group. Mm -hmm. 
So she just was a person that was just, you know, always there, would always answer a question, um, and never took no for an answer from anyone, uh -huh. um, but was super humble. Yeah, so I just really thought she was a wonderful person. That's amazing. Thank you for telling us about her. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Um, many people talk about, like, the challenges of pursuing a STEM career, especially as a woman, mm -hmm. and you've shared some stories. Mm -hmm. um, but do you think there's anything that's particularly positive that you've found? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I never regretted anything I've ever done in mm -hmm. this. I mean, I love, I love science. I love studying science, and I've never regretted my PhD and maybe not using it to the same way I had assumed I was going to but um, yeah I mean I guess the positives are um, is that I have I have a wonderful life I, I get to do I get to work with incredibly sharp young minds um, and um, and I feel that in some respects, I do more in the classroom than I ever would have done mm -hmm. um, as an independent researcher. I mean, yeah, sure, maybe, you know, some, some people can really change, you know, uh, how science, you know, is done or, or may change, you know, um, uh, sort of a disease or something like that. But, um, but I really feel that if you can somehow, you know, engage a generation to, you know, um, love their planet and, and, uh, and, and, you know, think about, you know, bigger issues and become, and, and, and maybe they themselves will become the doctors or, 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 or researchers that will make a big difference later. I think that, I think that that's been probably my, my biggest, you know, contribution um, that and maybe my kids which were probably my best science Aww. experiments ever so and I, I think like a lot of people think about a lot of people think that science and a career in science sort of lacks personal connection because mm -hmm. I've heard a lot about um, some girls will be like oh I want to pursue like business or marketing because I want to talk to people all day mm -hmm. would you would you say that you feel like science is personal in a way like absolutely um i think that well particularly education and sciences yeah. but but even when i was going through graduate school and postgraduate work and working in industry you know science is is not done in a vacuum i mean it mm -hmm. has to be involved you know with communication mm -hmm. and the community and and give and take and, and debate and so you know to 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 represented as something that is just strictly an ivory tower or something like mm -hmm. that is it's it's not correct um i really feel that um you know there's so much that um is exchanged at conferences and in the laboratory and meetings and all that so yeah. and obviously with teaching there's a oh, lot absolutely. of personal connection i love teaching there's <laughs> it's, it's been delightful all forms because i've taught k through college and mm -hmm. and my my opinion, and I'm sure if you talk with any of my colleagues, they would say the same thing. You can teach a kindergartner the same thing you can teach a graduate student. It's just a matter of how you present it, yeah. right? Yeah. So. 
So. And I think for a lot of the students here at our school, you provided a really amazing example of what a woman in STEM looks like. No. So that's a really big impact you've made. No, I appreciate that. Okay, so moving away from your own experience as a woman in STEM, we'd like to ask you a couple of questions about how you've seen uh, like gender representation and STEM change throughout your career, both in science and in education. So we're gonna ask, um, you know, one of the things that people notice is that the number of girls dwindles as science classes become more advanced. And so as somebody who sought, you know, the highest level of education in your field, um, did you notice like the gender disparity change throughout your education? And then as a researcher, did you notice um, that change as well? And did you see any progress during your time, both in academia and in research? Yeah, these are really important questions to get at. Um, uh, when I was um, going through my graduate work, um, actually, I was shocked there was a strong number of young women in UCSD's chemistry department, which I think was actively sought for, yeah. and which was great. I mean, I, I was delighted about that, and all the young women I worked with um, there were just stellar, um, and have, for the most part, remained in science mm -hmm. in one form or, wow. or another in capacity. So that's been, a, a, you know, a win-win. Mm -hmm. um, where I think um, you see, um, issues uh, is uh, it, it can be particularly um, uh, what do I say um, uh, sort of um, subject dependent mm -hmm. so um, you know you in the biological sciences you see a strong yep. representation of women um, and um, and particularly um, biochemistry and mm -hmm. you know molecular biology and um, neurosciences and all that um, the physics um, yeah. It becomes much. Mm -hmm. It's it's it dwindles. The, the higher math um, mm -hmm. has a tendency to weed out a lot yeah. of young women, um, and I don't know what's the best thing to say about that. Um, from an educator's standpoint, and having taught K through you know college, um, I used to watch my students when I was teaching in the elementary pro, uh, programs in Del Mar. I used to watch my students from K, because I would teach K through sixth grade, and I would watch them over the years. And my strongest, you know, most curious students, um, particularly of the young girls, would they would make this change. It was it was it was actually kind of striking around fifth grade. Mm. where they would go from being the dominant voice in the classroom mm. and the, the, the most cur curious and creative of the group to quiet. Yeah. And, you know, I, I spent a long time watching it and wondering why because, you know, but, but I do feel that, again, unfortunately, there's a biological trigger here a bit some of it's that, some can, because I don't think I treat anybody differently as they go yeah. through in the room. Um, but I would have to actually, you know, be more aggressive about asking people to, you know, talk, talk yeah. or what yeah. do you think or whatever. And there was, there was a point somewhere where it became not cool to either talk uh, or it yeah. was either, I don't know if it was socially applied or if it was 
possibly that we're hitting that tween years and yeah. pre puberty and so there was there was a shift in dynamic yeah. and you had to really try and foster um, a, their voices and you know really nurture that to try and keep that alive right as opposed to stepping back and letting somebody splain over the top of them um, and so um, it was kind of it was it was an interesting thing to watch. Um, I think some of that is social too, because I feel like as, as like even a middle schooler, mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. was this idea that like you can't be cool, you can't be popular if you're also in a mm -hmm. high math class, if you're also answering all the questions, yeah. if you're like the teacher's pet in a way. Mm -hmm. And so I think I've noticed that like in the classroom, kids will try to be quieter or act like they don't know what's going on when they really an, know it yeah, yeah in an effort to seem like they're cool i guess yeah and i think this applies a lot more to girls than guys yeah. in the classroom totally just because there's that like social idea that you know want to be kind of like quieter yeah or like tame yeah do you think it's do you think it's who do you think it places that is it is it self-emplaced? Is it girls' expectations on girls, or or is it, or is it, um, or, or is it? Um, do you think that there's pressure? Um, I don't know. All of it's like learned. Yeah, I don't think we're born. Yeah, like there's no biological that. <laughs> switch that happens. When no, I no, but I, but there is. I mean, I, you always wonder if there's not. There's sort of you don't want to attract. You, so, is, do you ever feel like that some of it's that you you don't want to outshine the guys and therefore mm -hmm. you're not attractive? I, mean, I know I, that's a tough <laughs> question, isn't it? <laughs> I, I think it's very difficult to attribute such a complex problem to one source. I agree. But I, I, agree. I, I could definitely believe that that plays a part in it. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think you're, there's, there's wise, wise um, aspects to that, that statement. Like, yeah, you, you see that in leadership too. Like, a lot of mm -hmm. times female leaders who, are, who come off as aggressive yeah. are, are labeled very differently than oh, totally. yeah. men who are considered strong leaders because yeah. they are aggressive. Right. So I think it's kind of like also a, a social standard. Oh well, yeah. yeah, you hit the nail on the head on that one. Yes. Yeah. So you think that 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 really plays in the classroom dynamic? Yeah. So then that becomes then in some respects very limiting. As as the further up you get, the more if, if that that has if the more that comes into play. Yeah, and I think it also is like, it, it's sort of like a vicious cycle to mm -hmm. some extent. Yeah. Like, if more boys are speaking up in the classroom and showing that they know all of the all of the knowledge i guess that in turn will begin to intimidate girls even more mm -hmm. yeah. and other boys who are who might be friends with these guys in the class are going to talk to their friends about the class and yeah. it, it kind of they kind of encourage each other to learn and grow while girls might see it as intimidating in a way yeah so it's interesting because you're talking about things that I've noticed, you know, it's, you know, in school mm -hmm. and, and I've had, I've talked with other young women who've said the same thing where they felt like they've been stuffed or, mm -hmm. or sort of, you know, 
the that it, that that it's been a, a little harder yeah. to sort of like you know sometimes um, excel in the upper STEM mm -hmm. courses and feel comfortable in their voice and yeah. everything else. Um, so I mean, this is this is a, I think a very important thing that you're talking about here because um, that's what we need to change. Yeah. And it's not an easy... <laughs> yeah. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Um, right. Okay, so we're going to end this episode with a little bit of advice. So if you were to tell your younger self or a younger girl out there interested in STEM a piece of advice, what would you tell her? I would say um, stick to your guns. Be prepared to... Um, argue um, <laughs> <laughs> your, your peace of mind and stand your ground. Um, I would say um, be an upstander, not a bystander. Mm -hmm. I would say um, there are going to be lots of people who can, can use you and for, as a mentor, okay, mm -hmm. in, your, in your career. And, you know, we've been talking about girls in STEM as being you know one challenging point but if you really want to talk about the sciences and challenges you should be talking about equality of all peoples mm -hmm. there is you know a real struggle of people of color and mm -hmm. upper yeah. Yeah. Um, levels of of um of science and we need to engage kids at a younger age um you know girls boys um, and and from all different walks of life to encourage mm -hmm. yeah. more diversity in science, right? Well, why do you think that diversity is so important? Like, we know that it's necessary. Like, we all, I think we all agree yeah. here that it's it's important. But what is exactly does that provide? I guess oh, it brings so much perspective, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Okay, I mean. You know, uh, one of the issues science, you know, I think has the biggest problems with is, is science and communication. And mm -hmm. part of it is yeah. is that um, scientists kind of sometimes, you know, because of maybe their training and all the education they have, they they sometimes aren't in, they aren't experiencing the same thing that everyone is experiencing, and by their and therefore. Um, they don't recognize other people's challenges, yeah. and I think mm -hmm. that it, the more diverse, you know, our our uh, our scientific community is, the better we'll be able to see all the problems that need to be solved. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I I just feel that you know you're losing a lot of voices there that could be really important. Yeah, and I've noticed this too in biology with like drug trials. Um, like there have been a lot of issues recently with like a lot of things not being properly tested on women. Oh, and absolutely. If we had more women in those boardrooms making those decisions, we might have less issues like in that department with side effects that happen on women. Right. That aren't. Yeah. For. No. It, I mean, boardrooms. Um, all you know, heads of pharmaceutical companies. Mm -hmm. You know, managing group leaders. You name it. All of those things have have big effects mm -hmm. on on things like drug trials, et cetera. Right. Um, and also, um, something very unique about you is that you pursued your PhD, which we some know, pursuing a more advanced degree in science. Oh, I'd say, you know what, don't worry about it. <laughs> the, you know, the, the key to life and the key to any good career is to pursue your passion. Mm -hmm. And 
Um, if I had worried about getting a PhD, I wouldn't have made it. There's mm -hmm. no doubt about yeah. it because that was what put me off in the first place. But, but in all honesty, I loved what I was doing and I wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a plan. It just happened, you uh, know, and by virtue mm -hmm. of that, there was nothing to worry about because it was, it was just a natural path in, yeah. in front of me. So I would say, don't worry about it. You, <laughs> you, you can set your mind to anything, right? And just do it, right? Um, and people are along the way are going to be there as your cheerleaders. I had more people who were cheerleaders than weren't. It's just the mm -hmm. ones that weren't. My cheerleaders necessarily were, were the ones that sometimes are, that put up the bigger barriers because mm -hmm. you start having self-doubt or, or whatever, right? Or the path becomes a harder path to, you know, to, um, to forge, so. Yeah. yeah, but I would say don't, don't, you know, yeah. Don't limit yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you for the awesome advice, Dr. Reynolds. Sure. Okay, I think it's about time to wrap up this episode. So thank you so much, Dr. Reynolds, for giving your powerful insight and being such an inspiration to all of us. It's been my pleasure. You guys actually make my day every day. Aw, thank you. All right, if you have any questions about being a woman in STEM or anything at all, please email allgirlstemsociety at gmail.com. That's A-L-L-G-I-R-L-S-S-T-E-M-S-O-C-I-T. -S -S E-T-Y at gmail.com. I do science. I can't really spell. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to follow All Girls STEM Society on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you so much for listening to Redefining Pink, everyone. And see you on our next episode where hopefully Angelina will be back. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.